Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Unbothered by Ty Rivera. As always, we come to you from high atop Ty Rivera Studios, a.k.a. Casa de Bijou. But no Bijou, you guys. My little Bijou had to go with her Uncle Chris. Her and Jerry both had to go with Uncle Chris because tomorrow I'm uh, flying out to Phoenix for the day because it's my mom's birthday. And I didn't get to see her for Mother's Day. And if you guys don't already know, my mother is my favorite person in the world. To me, there is nobody better than my mother. My father is a close second. But my mother is really where it's at as far as I go. And my dad's all right with that. He knows. I'm a mama's boy. I always have been. Um... Growing up, my dad had to work a lot, which I fully do respect because I know that he was um, the only breadwinner and it was me and my three sisters and my mom that he had to take care of as well as himself. And so um, he was able to provide for us really well, but... We just didn't get that um, close relationship when we were when I was younger. And then now, me and my dad are super close, but it's uh, still my mom that I'm always thinking about. And uh, I kind of made a mistake this time, you know, like the way that I've done things the last couple of weeks. I've completely depleted myself, and I don't know if that's fully a mistake or if that's just... If you guys don't know, uh, my life is basically a series of giving myself hoops to jump through. That's the way my whole life has worked out. That's the way I was raised, and that's just kind of the cycle that I'm always in. You know, I'm always working on something or another and trying to better myself and trying to make myself get out of my own comfort zone. So what I've been doing is I've been doing intermittent fasting and I've been doing the schedule of 20 and 4 or in a lot of cases 21 and 3. So I don't eat for 20 or 21 hours out of the day. And then I have all of my calories during that two or three or three or four hour window, depending on which day it is. And I've done that for the last 17 days, no cheat days, which if you don't know, anytime I do any kind of workout plan or diet, I always have a cheat day every Sunday. Sunday is my cheat day. And I'm going to tell you from doing things without cheat days and with cheat days, I think my body comes out a lot better when I have cheat days. I don't know if it's because my body wants those calories and I give them to them once a week and then it just knows where to put everything. And then, you know, that Monday I go right back because it's usually Sunday. And then that Monday I go right back to working out the way that I should and eating the way I should. And It just seems to be a better system because I've tried it without cheat days before, but this is the longest I've ever gone without a cheat day, I think. Like 16, 17 days with no cheat day. And then I didn't want to break up because I do three days of cardio, one day off, and it was going to be like an odd way that it worked out. So I didn't want to have it. So I had too many no cardio days. So I've been doing cardio for the last six days, which my cardio is ridiculous. I mean, people give me a hard time about smoking and stuff like that, but I challenge anybody to keep up with me in the cardio that I do. And I know some people could, but not a lot of you um, botherinas, good to have you, by the way, are going to be able to compete with me when it comes to cardio because I just wear myself out. And... um. You know, I got to be honest, uh, my little Jerry has a little bit of a tooth problem right now. I'm working with that. I'm trying to figure out a a homeopathic way because I don't want them to have to extract the tooth. And I also don't want him to have to go under. Most importantly, I don't want want him to have to go under. I'm a wreck when that kind of stuff happens. Like, 
I once was going to get Bijou fixed. Jerry just came fixed, so that's not something we have to deal with. But I was once going to get Bijou fixed, and I took her to the doctor's office, and I dropped her off, and then I just started going crazy, and I was like, I can't leave my baby like this. I just can't do it. So I called the doctor and told him, do not fix her, leave her alone. I mean, I could, really, I was still in the parking lot, <laughs> and I just called and, and was like, yeah, we're not going to do this. So, uh, you know, I'm just not good with that stuff when it comes to my dogs. I don't even like anybody touching my dogs, to tell you the truth. Like, I don't mean like you guys petting them because plenty of my friends have pet my dogs and I don't have any weird issues about that. It's just like as far as doing their nails, doing any of that stuff, I handle all that stuff because I'm just really protective of them and I know that... If I hurt them by accident, I'm going to give them a lot of kisses and they're going to know that I'm really sorry and I love them. And I just don't feel like anybody else is going to give them that kind of attention or that kind of affection. So I prefer just handle everything myself. And unless any medical emergency ever happens, like a friend of mine was telling me, Damar Randy technically was telling me that uh, his dog got hit by a car at one point and he had to pay three grand to get his dog, you know, fixed up. And I can understand that, you know, like your dog gets hit by a car. That's not the kind of thing that you're necessarily going to be able to be able to do at home or the best equipped to do at home. So in that case, I would just have to let go and let somebody take care of them. But I definitely would not, um, for any other reason, let anybody handle my dogs. It's just not the way I do things. Um, I also mentally have depleted myself tonight. I had to do a couple of shows and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've uploaded every episode of Unbothered to YouTube. So you can check that out there. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. And I'm not saying that just as a plug, just it really does help. And it's going to help with some of the stuff I'm going to do in the future. And I'm going to start, um, doing video on my podcast as well, especially when I have guests. I think that'll be really great for you guys to be able to see my guests and get to know their personality as far as looking at them as well. Um, I just have so much that I'm working on right now and I haven't been able to go up as much as I like to because I like to do as many sets in a night as I possibly can and I haven't been able to go up that much because I've been working on so many things with like setting up my YouTube completely because, you know, I've had a YouTube for a long time but I just didn't really pay attention to it. And I'm still kind of back and forth on how that's going to work out or how even necessary that is. I'm just doing it because I know that it's important. But the terms of service have changed on YouTube and the way that they monitor things is ridiculous. And that's also happened with Facebook. And it's it's just gotten tiring, you know. I mean, like, I'm over it, so it's not like I'm mad about it. But, it, like, I did a Facebook Live video the other day and it was... I was talking about the rape allegations that are happening on the L.A. comedy scene. And the reason I was talking about that, because really, to, to tell you the truth, I'd rather not talk about that. I personally would rather that not even be a part of my life. It's not, you know, as far as I go, since I'm not out there raping nobody, rape shouldn't be my problem. And I know other people feel other ways, and I was very honest about, you know, that on my on my Facebook Live, that I have two sisters that have been raped, and it's... It was hard enough for me to deal with that, like, on a personal level, and, you know, I love my sisters, and my whole family were just very close, and so... When it came to them, it was a whole different situation. Those are people that I'm related to. But when it comes to just random people, and especially accusations where nobody bothers to press charges, and I know that there's reasons people don't press charges, and I get that. But the thing is, I don't, I don't care. It's just not my business. I'm in the business of making jokes and doing stand-up comedy. And the only reason I'm even talking about it was because... A friend of mine had posted that on Facebook that if you hang out with a rapist, then he doesn't want to talk to you, see you, book you, any of that stuff, right? And this is a person I actually like and I do respect and I like his comedy. 
So I wasn't tripping off of that. And then somebody, I mean, like, you know, I wasn't tripping in the way that it was just like, you know, whatever. And uh, and as far as I know, I'm not hanging out with any rapists, so that doesn't include me. But I looked at a couple of the comments, and one of the first comments was name names. And one of the names he named was a person that I've also been friends with. I've been friends with that particular person for nine years now. And, um, you know, I kind of knew that that was going on because the friend that was being accused had posted on Facebook a couple weeks back or maybe a week prior to when I saw the post from the other friend um, about that somebody was accusing him of being sexually inappropriate at a point and that he hasn't talked to that person in two or three years. And this was the way the post read. And I was just like, uh, I don't know what's going on. And it's not my business. And I know for some reason I'm supposed to want to be really nosy about these things. And it's supposed to seem like juicy gossip. But to me, I was just like, I don't know what you kids are doing out there. And I'm not even being silly when I say you kids. But that's just the way I feel about it. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing out there. So I don't know if you guys aren't playing nice or if you guys are just getting mad at each other for no reason or what the deal is. So since I saw the friend's name come up on this Facebook thread, I went ahead and reached out to both of them and like tried to figure out what was going on just because for the one friend that's being accused, I feel, well, not I feel like, I know he's a funny guy. And I know he's good at what he does, and we work together. And I'm not saying that excuses rape. But what I am saying is if these accusations are going on and it's getting more and more public, then maybe I do want to look into it and find out what's going on from his side and see how I feel about where he is with it. So he calls and gives me a very detailed account of what it is the other person's talking about. And because to me, the way that it all plays out, and this is just my thinking, so you can get mad at me if you want to or say I'm a rape apologist or whatever you want, but to me, what he was talking about, what it sounded like, sounded really like nothing and didn't sound like what I would consider rape, but... And really didn't sound like rape at all to me, if I'm being honest, from the way that he told the story. And then the girl who I do know very, very little. I got into it with her once on Facebook, but it's not like I think she's a bad person for that or I have any real negative feelings about her. I just don't, you know, and I don't see her on the comedy scene very much. So it's not like we've had any real conversations. We just had this Facebook run in and that was it. And um, I don't know her side at all. And I'm not saying I think she's a liar at all. I'm just saying from the side that I heard. And of course, there's two sides to every story. But the way I felt about it was halfway through the story, I felt like I got to feed my dogs. And I'm hungry, too, because it was during my eating window. And I thought, I have so much going on that I don't care about this one way or the other, to tell you the truth. And like I said, the only reason I even asked was because I just wanted to make sure of what it was I was hanging out with or who it was I was supporting. And I like when it came down to it, I felt like, well, even if I did know her story, I wouldn't know what I'm supposed to do about that anyway, because like, I'm not going to call her a liar and I'm not going to call him a liar. And really I'm just here to tell jokes and do what it is I'm supposed to do as a comic. And the other reason that I kind of even had an interest in it was because like I said, I do respect the other comic. And so I wanted to know like, you know, that if I decided to go against what his wishes were that I was doing it in the in a way that I felt a clear conscience about it although I'm not trying to go against anybody's wishes I'm not trying to defy anybody I'm just trying to be me and stay out of stuff that doesn't concern me and 
you know, when we're talking about things that happened two or three years ago, I don't know what happened. And I wouldn't be a good juror on these kinds of things. I just wouldn't. And that's not at all what I want to be in, you know? I just wish more people would start thinking about comedy and what it is they're doing with comedy and forget all that other shit. Or, like, you know, if if somebody was sexually inappropriate or raped somebody then I wish that accuser would just go to the police and it would get handled that way. And then it doesn't have to turn into a social media. Like, why Why does anybody want that kind of attention on social media anyway? Because I started hearing from other people that they had seen her post and stuff like that. And, it's like, this is happening a lot on the L.A. comedy scene. Like, instead of calling the police, instead of going to the authorities in any way, instead, everybody goes to social media, and that's where they decide, okay, this is where I'm going to get my justice. But to me, social media isn't where you go for justice like that. And I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me on saying this, but I'm just tired of being expected to be a juror on these things because it's happened to me more than once where it's been a friend of mine that's being accused of something and sometimes it's not even rape. It's being sexually aggressive is the way that they describe people. Well, I don't know what sexually aggressive is for you. For me, every guy that's ever picked up on me has been sexually aggressive. Like that's how I knew they were interested because I'm kind of dumb when it comes to that stuff. You know, like, a lot of times I don't even realize people like me or want to hook up with me, you know. Like, I just think they're being cool, and then all of a sudden they'll make an actual move, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay, well, that's either a yes or a no. And, I mean, I kind of like when people are very direct in their approach and even borderline aggressive, like, yeah, grab me and fucking kiss me if you if that's what you want to do or... Give me an actual sign. I mean, like, if I pull back, then, of course, let me pull back. But just making a real play for it, sometimes a real play is what I'll respond to. Sometimes I wasn't thinking about you that way, but that just pushed the right button, I guess you could say. And I guess I probably shouldn't be laughing about this as far as a lot of people go, but I'm talking about for me in situations with me. I'm not saying that people should run around doing this to everybody. I'm not saying everybody should respond the way that I do. I'm just saying I'm tired of being expected to put the same value on things that other people put on them and understand what your definition is of whatever it is you're saying. Like some things that some people would consider harassment, I don't consider harassment. And there was a point where I was being harassed by another gay comic, and I was very open about that. And I did mention it on social media, but I didn't mention it in a way like we should ruin his fucking career i did mention it in a way that this person isn't a pillar of gay rights and whatever else he was trying to be because if it was if you were you wouldn't be trying to make other gay comics uncomfortable and this was happening when i was much younger that this but then one day this comic just decided to start advertising himself as this pillar of the gay community. And I was like, no, that's not what you are. And the most frustrating thing about my situation was there were several other gay comics that are young now that talked about him doing the same thing to them. And yes, it was very annoying. And it was very, like, you felt like you were just being... Like you, like you just wanted to get away from him every time he was around. And like maybe it wasn't the most avoidable because you were in a work situation where you're like, okay, we're both supposed to do this set and or do this show. And now he's there and he's making it uncomfortable for me because he won't stop. At one point he nibbled on my ear during a photo shoot. It was just so disgusting and so like so I get like harassment and that kind of stuff and I wish more people would be open about that in the way that it's like yeah you gotta stop creep that's just what it is like you gotta stop that but I wasn't trying to ruin his career over some harassment because I don't really 
care to punish anybody that way. I don't think that people should not be able to work because of it, but I guess I also have a problem with people misrepresenting themselves. So, I don't know. I wouldn't make it everybody's problem now, though, and I'm just telling you guys because I guess on certain levels I do relate, but at the same time, I don't relate to the, like, you know, had it been anything really... you know, sexually inappropriate in the way, like, you know, actually grabbed me inappropriately. The nibble on the ear was pretty bad, I gotta admit, but, you know, it's still... Lighting a cigarette, because I'm trashy like that, and my dogs are gone, and I can smoke in my apartment when my dogs are gone. But I guess my point is, I don't know why I'm trying to mince words. Had he grabbed my dick or grabbed my ass, then that would have been something to me. But outside of that, I'm not really fucking doing it. And people that I hook up with, I hook up with. And, you know, when I go to somebody's house at 2 in the morning, then I usually think ahead of time because I don't want to put myself in an uncomfortable situation. Do I want to fuck this person or do I not? If the answer is no, then I'm not going to your place at 2 a.m. And I don't give a fuck what's going on. I'm just not. If I know you have any sexual interest in me at all or if I know you're a gay man then I really think about that shit it's like okay do I want to put myself in this situation no I don't want to fuck him okay I'm not going and I wish more people would do that so they wouldn't end up in these uncomfortable situations and I know some people are going to say that's victim blaming but I don't want to mince words I just want to talk about this one time and tell you exactly where I'm at with it and have everybody like even if you don't respect or agree with it just understand that that's where my mentality is so yes when somebody says that they were treated a certain way or a certain thing happened I'm not ever saying anybody's asking for it but there are certain things that I'll ask about because it's like okay I don't know why somebody would put themselves in that situation I don't get that but you chose to put yourself in that situation and I just say it's not my problem and I don't know anything that happened and I don't know what happens in a stranger's bedroom at two or three in the morning when it's just you two there I just don't leave myself open like that. So when it comes to that, I guess I just don't get it. And maybe I'll never get it. And I'm tired of not or being expected to get everything, being expected to see everything everybody's way when nobody is trying to see it my way ever. There's only one side and it's your side and I'm supposed to listen to you and say exactly what you are suppo- what you want me to say and not be friends with the people that you want me to not be friends with and just take you at your fucking word like nobody else has anything to say about anything and I'm tired of it. I am really tired of it. Like that's one of the things I'm the most tired of when it comes to the LA scene and it's not only about that it's not only about sexual type things it's also like if you decide somebody's a rape a racist now I'm supposed to be like oh well they're a racist so I'm not going to talk to them if you don't like the way they joke then suddenly they're not supposed to be on shows because you you don't think their humor is appropriate it's like at what point do I get to just make my own decision at what point do I just get to say okay that bothers you it doesn't bother me so can I just have my friends and be an adult and and decide what I want to do with people like is that not okay does it have to be everything has to go through you as a filter and that's what I think is wrong with like you know social media and the way people want me to support you know the left and stuff like that like I've said it before I'm not even a fucking Republican I just voted the way I voted because I got tired of the people on the left whining all the time. Like, everything is such a constant victimization. And that's what I used to hate about the right. Like, when I was coming up, I really hated the right. And I hated the right because that's... Everything was like, you know, oh my God, this is so inappropriate. I just can't see it. I don't want it on my television. I don't want to have to listen to it on the radio. Like when I was coming up, when I was like 13 years old, Two Live Crew was a big deal. And everybody's trying to get Two Live Crew banned. And my parents bought me a Two Live Crew cassette at the time was what it was. I listened to Two Live Crew cassette. I loved it. My parents didn't care about the language in it. My mom always raised me that, you know, I was her kid 
And as long as I wasn't talking that way, she was fine with it. Once I turned 18, I could do whatever I wanted to. But when I was younger, I wasn't allowed to cuss. I wasn't even like, I, you know, I wasn't even allowed to say the word fart, which I know Luke Schwartz has a joke about that, a comic by the name of Luke Schwartz. And it's one of the things I told him. I was like, you know. It's funny because he wasn't allowed to say the word fart when he was growing up either because it was considered a bad word in his house. And that's the way I was raised too. Like, you know, my parents both cursed. It's not like they were, you know, going to church all the time and stuff like that. Um, my mom was a little more excessive with it, but she was also really fun with it. My dad wasn't big on cussing. Like, I don't know why. It just wasn't his thing. And, you know, like he would cuss every once in a while when he'd get really pissed off about, you know, like, but it was usually something to do with like, you know, if he was working on the car or something or, you know, hit his hand, then he'd be like shit or, you know, s stuff like that. But it just wasn't a lot of cursing when I was younger. And so, but like my mom was always like, you know, yeah, I don't care what you listen to. I don't care what you watch. I was allowed to watch any stand-up comic that I wanted to watch because I was really into stand-up when I was younger, like watching it. And um, I remember being really young and my mom didn't care about any of that stuff. And so, you know, but it was always the people on the right that were really making a big deal of everything that were, you know, trying to get everything banned. Like, I remember when Roseanne and Sandra Bernhardt had that supposed lesbian kiss, which wasn't even a real kiss kiss. It was just like they had a peck and it was on ABC and people were outraged and they were threatening to boycott. And I remember even at that young age, because that was before I had come out, and I remember even at that young age just being like, what's the big deal? Why is everybody so upset about everything all the time? And then Disneyland did gay days when they first started doing gay days. Then I think it was maybe the Mormons or maybe it was just the religious right in general that decided that they were going to boycott Disneyland or they were threatening to boycott Disneyland. But Disneyland makes way too much money and they were way too fucking cool for that. And they were like, yeah, well, you want to boycott and not come here, then don't come here. What? Whatever. And so people just had to accept that there were gay days after a while, you know, so I don't know how long that boycott even lasted or if it even fully got started or it just stayed a threat. And then they realized, yeah, we like going to Disneyland, so we're going to say fuck it on this. But whatever happened, it happened. And it used to be what I used to hate. And everything was always fear driven. Everything was always like, you know, the, the whole world is going to go to shit type of thing. And now it's the left I see doing that a lot. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen on the right, but I'm just saying that I work a lot for the right. And I notice that they're very open to what it is I am, what it is I'm saying, and what it is I'm doing. And I'm also, even though a lot of people don't fully get that, if you talk to any comic that's worked with me on the road, I'm not disparaging towards the gay community. Like, I let them know that there are things that uh, that bother me about the gay community. I let them know that I think that we're falling short in certain areas, that we could be doing better in certain areas. But I kind of do that about everything. Like, you know, the only difference between that and when I have fun with the rednecks and make fun of them is that they have a sense of humor when I make fun of them. But then I say something about the gay community and suddenly I'm either an Uncle Tom or I, I'm self-hating or whatever it is they're going to call me. And that's what made me not be able to fuck with them is after a while I just got like, well, no, I'm not going to, like for you either, because with the gay community, that's what they want too. Like say these particular things, do these particular things, but at the same time they offer me no support. Like when I was, like I did um, some gay shows way back when I was first starting out. And because the gay comics didn't like to go outside of West Hollywood and Silver Lake, they would get annoyed because I was so polished. Well, what am I going to do? Pretend to not be as polished as I am because you don't want to leave your comfort zone? Pretend not to be as strong as I am of a personality because you feel like that's too much? And who are you to say what's too much? I remember one time I got in trouble for yelling at an audience, and it wasn't even yelling at them in an aggressive, mean way. I yelled at them in a like, because um, it was at this place that used to be on La Brea, I think. It, no, it was La Cienega. And it was called Mark's. And it was a West Hollywood bar slash restaurant. And it was my first paid gig, I believe. I got paid $10 to do that show. And um, which I'm not old enough that $10 was a lot of money during that time. So 
hold your jokes on that. But I got paid $10 to do that show, and I was excited because it was the first time I was being paid. And the first time I went, it was great. It was so great, and I had such a good time. And then, like, the second time I went, it was just comic after comic eating it. I mean, like, every comic was eating it. And I was watching these comics, like, try their best. It wasn't like they were doing, like, crappy comedy or it wasn't funny what they were doing. Like, I remember that part of the night. Of course, I don't remember individual jokes they were doing. But I remember sitting in the back watching and thinking, these comics are really giving their all. And this gay audience is not giving it up at all. It's almost like they're being snotty just to be snotty. And so I went on stage and like maybe the second joke I did like popped. It wasn't a huge pop, but it was definite a definite pop. And the audience went for it. And so I just was thinking out loud and I said something like, um, I'm going to really think about what I want to do next because I noticed that you guys are a picky audience. And then they started laughing in this bitchy way, like just being gay and evil, which if you're gay, you know gay and evil. And no, I'm not saying evil in a like because they're gay way. I'm just saying that sometimes queens will let you have it. And these queens knew that they were letting these people have it. These comics, they were loving it. Uh, they were loving letting these comics have it. And so I just at that point was like, I'm serious. You motherfuckers are a tough egg to crack. And then I just went into this like rant where I cursed at them and told them that they weren't going to fucking break me. And, um, you know, and I had a great set. Like it was an undeniably great set. So afterwards, one of the other producers who's gay walks up to me like he's being friendly. Well, the one because there were two producers. It was Charlie and it was Steve. And Charlie walked up to me and he was like, Wow, that was great. And like his white boy, so that really is the way he talked. He was like, you know, wow, that was great. And he was telling me how great he thought it was and how funny he thought it was. And then he gave me a drink ticket. And at the time I drank, so I bought, you know, got my drink with the drink ticket. And I was, you know, happy happy because I did well after everybody had been eating it. And so then the other producer walks up to me when Charlie's not around. And he was like, he was like, so uh, where'd you learn to do that? Like, where did you learn to do that? And I was like, oh, it's not something I do because I was pretty new at the time. Remember, I said this is the first show I'd ever been paid for. So I was pretty new at the time. I was brand new, like probably within the first six months to a year of me doing comedy. And um, so when he asked me where I learned that, I was like, oh, that's not something I usually do. It was just something I did in the moment because, you know, it was fun and it, it worked. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, don't ever do that again in a show where you're being paid you don't ever do that again and I was like I had to stop him because even though I was newer and stuff like that and I was definitely a lot nicer back then than I am now but um even though I was newer I had to stop him because I was like look because he really tried to go on at me for a minute it wasn't just like that quick don't ever he was really trying to go on and so I was just like look it's cool if you want to tell me what not to do during your show, what you don't want me to do during your show. I'm fine with that. But you're not going to tell me what I'm not ever supposed to do. The fact is, it worked. I had a great set. Nobody in the audience was upset. Nobody's upset now. So I don't know why it is you're upset. And then he made this big deal of it and acted like I wasn't supposed to like talk back to him, which it's like... Back then, I felt almost like I was in trouble, even though I knew I couldn't be in trouble because this guy didn't matter. But now, looking back, I feel even more like, well, who the fuck are you? Like, who? And this guy doesn't even do stand-up anymore at all. I think I stopped seeing him, like, even attempting stand-up back when I was working with Joe Coy. Like, he ended up getting a set because um, I was helping run the gay show at... Um, the Laugh Factory, which was a midnight show. It was called There Goes the Neighborhood was what it was called, and it was a gay show. And um, 
was it, I think it was called There Goes the Neighborhood. And yeah, it was the gay show. And this guy, Steve, showed up to do a set there. And of course he was kissing my ass because I had done a lot more stuff by that point. And he had kind of fallen off, almost completely fallen off. And fallen off is a very strong expression because really he was never on. Like he was never doing anything but West Hollywood shows. And he really was just a West Hollywood, occasionally something like Silver Lake, but Really, West Hollywood was the only place this person was, and that's the other thing. If your neighborhood, excuse me, if your neighborhood specific, don't try to tell a comic that's going everywhere what it is they can and can't do. You are in no position to give anybody advice until you at least leave your neighborhood. That is not something you're supposed to be doing. Is trying to give people advice on the entire world of comedy when you won't leave a what five mile radius. So, anyway, this, is, this, this was very similar to a lot of experiences I had in the gay community, like when I was doing more gay-specific shows. Now I'll do gay shows, but for certain people, and also I have to be treated a certain way. And it's not a diva-type thing. It's just that I'm not putting up with your shit to work for your segmented audience. I'm just not. I'd rather get that same gay audience in a mixed crowd and, yeah, you can love me there and there you'll be great and see me as the fucking hero I am. But going to your West Hollywood room and having to put up with your shit because you've decided that this is the way that you live and this is the only way you think and this is, yeah, fuck off. I'm not fucking doing that because the truth is... The way that a lot of people are doing things, and this isn't just LGBT, it's people in general that want to feel victimized, is they completely turn people off, they turn people against them, and they want everybody to support them. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm just not enabling you. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to pretend to be that guy. Really, I think telling people that they're stupid all the time is the dumbest thing you can do, and I've said that before about trans people. It goes for gay people. It goes for people that hate Donald Trump. Like, it, all the way around, telling people how stupid they are all the time is not what you want to do. Like, I get annoyed with people all the time, and I get annoyed with certain situations and certain types of thinking. But I'm not going to sit there and tell you how stupid I think you are if I want to change your mind or if I want you to at least understand where it is I'm coming from. I'm going to try to understand you first, and I'm going to have a decent conversation with you. I'm going to treat you with respect. And yeah, at the end of the day, we might agree to disagree, but at least we both treated each other with respect, or I feel good about the fact that I treated you with respect Heard you out, heard it is what you had to say. Maybe I need to reformulate my thinking. Or maybe if you say things in a respectful enough way and you make enough sense, maybe you can actually change my mind. Maybe you just get mad because you're not going to change my mind right there in that second and I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I just had an epiphany. Maybe it'll take me a couple of days. Maybe it'll take a couple of days or a couple of weeks or even a couple of months of me mulling it over and being like, what were they saying again? How did that work out? And putting it together in my head and like trying to mix it around and mixing it with my thinking and then seeing inconsistencies on the other side and being like, okay, well, what you were saying that one day did make more sense to me does make more sense to me now and I'm not having this conversation with you because you're nowhere around or you know maybe I don't see you all the time but I'm having this conversation with you in my head or with what you were saying in my head if that makes sense you know so it's people want instant gratification they want you to instantly change your mind and that's just not the way it works a lot of times a lot of times you get what you want or you get people to think about what it is you're saying by just politely and respectfully putting it out there and then later on letting them come to the conclusion on their own and hopefully it works out. And if it doesn't, what does it matter? It's one person. And I know that people get like, yeah, well, one person. And yeah, well, try harder with that one person. Be nicer to that one person and hopefully you'll get the result you want instead of continuing to bang your head against the wall because you don't know how to talk to people and you don't want to treat people with respect. It's also with the insurance thing. When people were all upset about Obamacare and stuff like that a couple of weeks ago, like I'll tell you what really bothered me about some of these hip hypocrites was I saw one person in particular, I had to unfriend his stupid ass, and I will call him stupid because here's the thing. Don't complain about your prescriptions, what they're going to cost you and stuff like that when you've tried to sell me your prescription drugs before. That's not going to happen. You're just mad because the government is 
maybe going to get tired of you and your jig is going to be up. And if you really want to know while you're all throwing your emotions on me and this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm having, maybe now you'll start to take better care of your bodies. Maybe now instead of taking medicine for diabetes, which is not all you need, and I understand some of you do and those of you that do, I hope we figure out a way for you to continue what you need to get uh, getting what you need to get at an affordable rate. Um, I hope we can figure that out, that out. I sincerely do for the people that sincerely need it. But for a lot of you people that just want to stuff your faces all the time and not worry about what goes into your bodies. And I understand this is an every diabetic. Some people are thin and diabetic. I understand. But there is like... The more we find out about everything, the more we realize that these things are, in a lot of cases, even reversible. So the fact that you're getting yourself so used to these drugs and just accepting that this is your life, it doesn't have to be your life. And there's no reason you or the government or the taxpayers or both or all three should have to pay this much money because you don't want to just monitor what goes into your body. How about we all have self-discipline? I mean, like, I exercise self-discipline all the time, like I talked about at the beginning. In this podcast and it sucks and I hate it sometimes and I'm very honest about that but at the end of the day I do what it is I need to do so that my body stays working the way that I need to stay it stay I need it to stay working and I know that I'm not getting any younger I know this for myself it's not something I have any trouble with mentally or it's not something I'm trying to come to grips with which I know some people will occasionally say something about plastic surgery and try to make that connection. But like I've said before, one day I'll fully go into that. But just to give you an idea of what the situation was with me in plastic surgery, like what happened was when I was young, I got injected with silicone. I was 22 years old when I got injected with silicone. And if you want to know the story behind that, I was hanging out with my trans friends. And at the time, all of them got injected with silicone. They all had great results. Um, I got injected by somebody that was new. They hadn't fully told me the whole story about that person instead because they were getting kickbacks um, and extra for what they were getting pumped in themselves, which was a lot more because since they were trans, they were getting pumped into their hips and they were getting pumped in their boobs. And if you know anything about the way that works is it takes forever and it takes a lot of volume for them to... because. The girls I knew were running around with Nicki Minaj asses before there was a Nicki Minaj. Like, they were like the baby got back girls. That's what they wanted to be. And so that's what most of them worked their ways up to. And that's very expensive. It's a lot of silicone, and it's also a lot of time. So what happened was I got injected, and originally they were just supposed to inject me in my cheekbones just to accentuate my cheekbones. They injected a lot more than they were supposed to, and I didn't realize how unskilled this particular person was. I had been told that's the person that they had been going to for a long time. Turns out there was another person they had been going to for a long time, but they had gotten an argument with her, and I didn't know this, and so that's what happened. So like me having plastic surgery ever in the first place never had anything to do with anything to do with my age. At 22 years old, I wasn't worried about my fucking age. And for the people that think it comes from a self-hating place, that too is also just you projecting what it would take for you to get plastic surgery at any point in your life. Like the thing was, at that point, I was working in a whole different industry, which I've done podcast episodes about before for other people, and we'll get into that more. But I looked at myself more as a product, and if there's something I can do that'll just make me just a little bit better, then... I'll be an even better product. Like, that's the way I saw it. And a lot of people I know would think, like, you thought of yourself as a product. Yes, bitch, I said I thought of myself as a product. Like, that's the way I thought at the time. So I thought if I could make the product just a little bit better, then everything will be just a little bit better. And really, I was doing really well. So I shouldn't have fucked up with the recipe or fucked with the recipe that was already working. Like, that was dumb on my part, and I can admit that, but these are the mistakes of my youth, and here we are today, and the fact that I'm comfortable with myself, even though I had to go through a lot, because the fact of the matter is I did have to go through a lot, because it did bother me having to look at my mistake every day, you know, having this silicone that, I mean, like, even the way that it was sold to me as far as the permanence of it was I was misled on that. And that was before the days of Google. So it wasn't like I could just go to Google and check this stuff out. I was really 
taking my friend's word for it. And yes, I should have gone to an actual plastic surgeon, a board certified plastic surgeon, and talked to them about it. But again, I was young and I was 22 and I was dumb. And like I saw all of them walking around with these beautiful results. And to me, at the time, proof is in the pudding. That's what I'm looking at. And, you know, it's... I made a stupid mistake and I didn't want to have to look at my mistake every day. So there was a point where I was getting more stuff injected um, when I got older because like when I got older and I also lost more weight and you also naturally lose weight, you know, you lose volume in your cheeks and stuff like that. That's why people get gaunt. And so the silicone started to protrude more. Um, That was something that happened also um, I started to lose, which I knew could happen. Like after, cause after everything I went and talked to Jen, like after the fact, dumbass, right. Almost immediately after, because problems started happening for my friends with silicone. Like one of them, I know that she was going to need a double mastectomy. She was going to hold off to the last minute cause she didn't want to lose her boobs, you know? And, um, so she was going to hold on to the last, to the last minute. Last I talked to her. Um, but she was going to end up needing a double mastectomy. One friend had to get a bunch of stuff scraped out of themselves, um, like the hips, and because they had also done like a little bit uh, like on the inside closer to this scrotum for a medical term. Um, but she had also gotten silicone, had gone into her scrotum. And so um, a doctor had to scrape that out, you know, and so um, there was a deadening of the skin that had happened where, you know, there were purple marks on their skin, permanent bruises is what they looked at. And I started to get one and I still have remnants of it on my cheek. You know, there's like a a dark spot where it was started, the skin was starting to deaden because it wasn't getting enough um, blood flow. And so dealing with that, you know, it was like, And I had to search far and wide to find a doctor that could even do it. And I went to a doctor in Beverly Hills and he did the best job that you can possibly do as far as scraping out silicone. But anybody that works with silicone, like what's called uh, free flowing silicone, which is what I got injected, if it even was in fact silicone, there was a point where they were somewhat worried that it wasn't silicone, it was some plant extract, which is just as bad, if not worse. And this was all from going to a person based off of word of mouth. But again, I don't blame other people for my stupidity. Technically, I've forgiven my trans friends. I don't think I was... There were moments, like nights or points, where I would be mad at them when I was dealing with the frustration of having to research this and find out who could take care of me on this. I had to go for an MRI so the doctor could get kind of an idea. But, you know, um, there's another comic on the scene that's very open about having had this done and having to have it removed, Tuesday Thomas. And she went to... um, Mexico to have hers removed, but I felt like, you know, I had no business going to Mexico. If I'm going to go somewhere, I'll go to somebody in, you know, the States at least. And Beverly Hills was just where the guy happened to be. And, you know, he did the best that he could do. But I knew going into it that I was always going to, that there was always going to be some sort of flaw and it was never going to be perfect. So I wasn't even searching for perfection when I went to have it removed. Like, my main thing was, because when you get other stuff injected, it's usually radius or restylane. So when they inject radius or restylane, that stuff lasts for four, I think it's four to six months is the longer lasting one, which I always get them confused because they have the same name. But um, one is good for, you know, like four to six months and the other one tops out at about four months. And that's the way they worked out. And so I didn't want to have to constantly keep getting injected every four months. Plus, like, you know, sometimes the doctor will inject more in you than they should because they're trying to make extra money. And that's just a part of the hustle. So that's why you see a lot of people walking around with more shit in their face than they technically should have or more than they needed. Because sometimes these doctors are trying to make their money like everybody else. And yeah, it sucks that there's people that are kind of disreputable like that, but... 
that's just what it is as far as that goes. And everybody's got to hustle. So there was also dealing with that too. And I was like, yeah, all the way around, I don't want to have to deal with this shit for the rest of my life. So I went to have it pulled out. Anyway, point of the story, even though I said I wasn't really going to talk about it that much, I guess I found plenty to talk about in it right then. And that's just naturally where we went. But I have no problem with my age. I have no problem admitting that I'm getting older. So I need to take care of my body. And I know that that's just what it is. Like, you know, I know that also, just to wrap up on the plastic surgery thing, I know that I could probably go back to that same doctor and have him scrape out just a little bit more because I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I'm sure in a way like I'm questioning. I know there's still a bit of silicone in there because he wasn't able to get all of it. But when they're doing that kind of stuff, they kind of have to err on the side of caution because you can get full facial paralysis. Like there's people that have Bell's palsy, Bell's palsy from having silicone removed just like I did. And I knew that that was something that could happen to me, but I also knew that the deadening of the skin would be even worse over time and I knew that the silicone had also started to migrate which was another problem it started to go down a little bit as far as like in the location which it was already injected low in the first place so I had that happen and then I was also starting to get booked for more stuff during that time too like I already had two tv appearances, or no technically I had well by the time I got it taken out I had several tv appearances already so, you know, I knew that I was also dealing with that. And so it's just, you know, that's what I did was decide to get this fixed. Now I know now, like I said, I could go back and have them like scrape out even more and try to make it better. But I feel like why? I mean, leave well enough alone. I don't have to worry about the skin deadening. So as far as, you know, anything I would have done to it now would just be for cosmetic purposes. And I don't really see a point to that. I personally am comfortable with myself. I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with where I am, you know, and the other thing that people don't get is when you have a surgery done, you have to have, um, you have to take four months off of working out. Like that's just something that you have to do so that your body can heal the way that it has to and the circulation can do what it has to do and you don't want to pass out on a treadmill, a treadmill and fuck yourself up and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just feel like I am where I am and it's done like it's done and, you know, I like the way that my, you know, I'm able to work out and I like the way my body is looking right now and I want to continue to work on that. And so all of this stuff is just me saying that I know I have to take care of myself and I know I'm not getting any younger. And I think more people need to look at it that way, especially from a younger age. Like if you, if you know that there's things that you could be doing to better yourself and to make sure that you live a better life and to make sure that you don't have to be on medication forever, then why would you not want to take steps toward that? towards that? Why would you want to continue to rely on Obamacare or anything else for stuff that you could be helping yourself with just as far as diet and exercise go? Like, and... Like I was saying, if you're going to try to sell your prescription drugs on top of it, or I see the bad life choices you're making at the same time, you're lucky I don't just bust you out on social media on your own thread and be like, hey, why don't we talk about this real quick, since we're acting like this is such a fucking sob story, but I'm nice enough to do not do that. Instead, I just unfriend you. And let you know that I'm not on your side when it comes to that. But again, that's a terrible thing for me to do. Because as soon as somebody says that they need something, I'm just supposed to automatically be on their side. Oh, what's that? You need those pills? Well, okay. But I don't think you do, so... And I notice a lot of people doing shit like that. You know, like depression... Studies have shown that there are different ways that you could at least try to treat depression.
before you jump straight to the meds. But everybody wants to jump straight to the meds because the meds are easy. Like, I've talked about that before myself. Like, I have bouts of of depression, but I find that when I work out a lot, when I take care of myself the way I'm supposed to, and it's not about, like, because of the way I look that I end up having this depression. It's not like, oh, I'm fat, I'm depressed. It's not like that. I actually have bouts of real depression. But, like, anytime I've had any kind of depression, it's been when I haven't been working out, I haven't been watching what I eat. So, like, my thinking is always, like, okay, if it takes two to three weeks for your meds to even kick in or to figure out the way your meds work, which is the way a lot of times that you end up figure, or it takes the meds to get in your system. You know, if you're on psychotropics, you know that it does take a period of time for that to get into your system. I always thought to myself, okay, if it takes that long for it to get into your system, if you take a drug, then it probably takes about that same amount of time for you know, for your sis, for the endorphins to kick in the way they need to, or the whatever it would be, the hormones to change inside of you, or whatever shift has to happen in order for your mental to catch up, you know? So I just tell myself, okay, I'm going to go to the gym for two to three weeks. If it doesn't get better after that, then maybe I'll need to talk to somebody. But guess what? Anytime I've done it, it's always gotten better. And there's also the fact that depression is a part of life. Like, sometimes you're supposed to be down. Like, I have people that I really care about. I know that I'm, I come off sounding like I'm a constant cunt or whatever, but I do have people that have died in my life that I've really cared about. I do have people that are going through a hard time that I really care about. There are certain causes even that are, that, you know, I do consider to be important. And that shit does sort of bum me out every once in a while. Not sort of, it does bum me out every once in a while. But being depressed about it isn't going to help shit. So I try my best to pull myself out of the depression through diet and exercise. And so far it's been great. It works out really well for me. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't people that don't legitimately dr- need drugs, you know, to fix their imbalance. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that I think there's a lot more people that are on meds that don't need to be than the ones that do. Like in my opinion, especially in LA, a lot of the people that are on meds don't need to be. And a lot of the people that aren't really do need to be like when you look at what's going on in the street and stuff like that. And I know that there's no way to force people to take medication if they don't want to take medication. But at the same time, I see a lot of these people and I wonder how many of them could maybe get more help if it wasn't a bunch of people leeching off the system so that they can get drugs that they don't need. Like, and again, I might seem wrong for saying that, but that's just where my thinking goes sometimes. And if you want my support on these things, then maybe we should be able to talk about this sort of stuff. Maybe I should be able to say this sort of stuff, and then you can tell me what it is you're trying to say. And don't always hit me with anecdotal. Well, what you're saying is very anecdotal. Yeah, bitch, what you're saying is anecdotal, too, because you're telling me about your own fucking depression right now. That's anecdotal. And I know you're trying to support it with all sorts of numbers, but anybody will tell you, you can find statistics that will support almost anything you say. Oh, really? This study says that? Well, this study over here says this. That study says that? Well, this study over here says what I'm saying. And so it's like, why can't we debate it a little bit? Why can't we try to figure it out? Why can't you once in a while try to get off your lazy ass and actually work out or try to figure out your depression? Like a lot of the people that I talk to about this kind of stuff, when I do talk to people with depression, I'll tell them like, you know, why don't you try working out? Yeah, well, that doesn't work for me. Like I've, well, how much have you really tried it? Because I'm looking at you and you look kind of fucking fat. You look kind of like you don't take care of yourself. And I see the shit that's going into your fucking mouth every time I'm talking to you. And it doesn't look healthy. So really, how much have you tried it? I know. It's easier to take a pill. So take your pills and shut up. 
But when people get tired of paying those pills or when it becomes too much for the system, and I know that's another thing that we need to talk about, the way the hospitals jack everything up, like paying $30 for an aspirin. And I don't know if they cracked down on that already, but I know everything used to be ridiculous. I got shot one time when I was 17. I got shot in a drive-by, and the cost of every single thing and the way that they billed for that, and the only reason I knew was because I was like 16 at the time, and my dad was the one that told me about it, and it was partly covered by insurance thank god but at the same time my dad like you know let me know the ridiculousness of of it he was like he was like do you realize and he was telling me like what it was and i guess just trying to sober me up like since i was a kid at the time sober me up to what it was like to be an adult or what it is that hospitals do or that kind of stuff you know, but anybody that's been to a hospital knows that they're ridiculous about certain things. And the thing is, if you have to get something done medically, then you just have to get it done medically. And they know that they have you by the balls at that point. So nobody wants to really address that fully, though. Instead, people want to just figure out a way to continue to enable that industry as well, which... You know, the cost of pharmaceutical drugs, like a lot of people finally got pissed off when it was that, I don't even remember what that guy was, if it was HIV medication that he bought, like that company and jacked up the prices and everybody was talking about how ridiculous that was and how heartless it was and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, it's like people don't want to call them out. People don't want to say, yeah, it is being ridiculous. You're being fucking ridiculous. And you're really holding people, holding this medication ransom from some people that really do need it. Like I said, I do acknowledge that some people do need certain drugs. Some people do have imbalances that aren't just going to be fixed by exercise and diet. And I get that. But, like, let's hold these people a little more accountable instead of just being like, okay, so you want this ridiculous amount of money? I guess we'll go figure out where to get you this ridiculous amount of money. No, how about every once in a while we say, fuck you. Why are you being so ridiculous right now? Medical health professionals, like, I get it. But at the same time, does a doctor really have to drive a Mercedes if he loves what he does? If you're doing it for the right reasons, I don't think you have to. Like, you know, when it comes to people talking about socialism and capitalism and that kind of stuff, like, you know, I'm not the most... I'm not the most staunch in either way on any of that stuff, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that I love stand-up comedy enough that if we had more of a, a system where it was more of a level playing field, and I know this is going to pl piss off plenty of my conservative friends, but if we had a system that was a lot more level where we did things in a way like, yeah, say bartering or something like that, which I know is ridiculous and would never happen or anything like that. If we had more of a level playing field and could like support ourselves comfortably doing what it is we do because we loved it, I would still choose to do stand-up comedy. I would still choose to do stand-up comedy. I w wouldn't, like, you know, feel like, oh, now I guess I'll do something else because this isn't going to turn out to be the treasure trove that I thought it was going to be. Well, newsflash, folks, it hasn't turned out to be a treasure trove, and I'm still doing it anyway. Technically, sometimes this job is a lot harder than I tell people about because I don't like to burden people with my problems. But as a stand-up comic, a working stand-up comic, especially one that does the road, any road comic will tell you there are times when you wonder how your bills are going to get paid. There are times when you wonder where your next gig is going to come from. And some of these club owners don't want to budge off of using people that they've been using in the 80s, even though they're still not, even though they're not pleasing audiences anymore. For some reason, these club owners and bookers love them. And then the club owners and bookers also get mad because comics like me end up doing independent shows and getting more money off of those than we would get off of a weekend at a club anyway. So at that point, we decide to start doing independent independent shows in their region and they're mad because we're not doing their club well I tried to do your club and you didn't return my emails or you said you thought what I did wasn't going to work in your area or your region and guess what I ended up proving you wrong and now I don't work for your club and really if I had my way I would have just worked for your club and that would have been a lot easier since you already have a comedy club and that would be a perfect fit but no now people don't want to go see your old ass headliner because they could go to an independent venue and see somebody like me 
can't get the shit that they're not able to get on TV, which in a lot of cases is what these 80s and 90s comics are still doing. It's stuff like, yeah, that's great, and it's TV-friendly, and you're right, that won't offend anybody, but it's not the shit under the fucking counter that people really want to see. It's not the shit on the fucking top shelf. That's just not what it is. Sorry, but it's not. You're selling mid-grade at high-grade prices, and at a point... People are going to find what they're going to find. They're going to want to see what they're going to want to see. And, you know, guys, I hadn't realized, but this has quickly turned into an hour and three minutes, which I didn't know I had it in me, really. I didn't know what I was going to talk about for this whole time. And I realized that I probably said too much. And to stop myself from not posting it or thinking twice about what it is I'm saying or doing or putting out there. I'm just going to say that uh, this has been Unbothered by Ty Rivera, and I'm going to upload this exactly as it is right now after I do it. The only thing that's a secret on this podcast is the fact that I'm flying in to see my mother tomorrow. So if my nieces and nephews happen to listen to this early in the morning, Before my mother knows that I'm going to be there, you keep your little dumb baby mouths shut. And no, for the people at home, they aren't actual fucking babies. Technically, they're old enough that they're what reminds me that I'm getting old. But that's the way we talk in my family. You know, these dumb babies got to keep their mouth shut. So don't you tell your nana that I am coming home today to surprise her for birthday because it's called a surprise, you little assholes. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, go to americasfavoritefag.com if you want to catch up on my bullshit. Or you can just put in tyrevera.com if you know how to spell my name. Or you can Google Tyrevera. Well, you all know how to get a hold of me. And also, subscribe to my YouTube, like I said. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. And I realize I probably overshared on this one. I hope it was all... The only thing I care about, I don't care about the oversharing. I just hope that I reconnected everything in the way that it makes at least sense to what it is I am and what it is I'm trying to get across. Um, I hope you guys will let me know what you ended up thinking about it. Thanks for listening to Unbothered by Tyra Vera, everybody. I love all of you, even the ones that hate me.